everyone. Hope all is well in your world, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I welcome back in Stephen Shed Shedletsky, who is the author of the new book, Speak Up Culture, When Leaders Truly Listen, People Step Up. And Shed and I went through the entire writing process journey from initial outline and how he edited to naming the book, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This was a really in-depth episode on the entire writing process, working with editors, book launch, et cetera. So really excited to introduce this episode to you. And if you want to check out Shed's work and his book and all the other things he's doing, you can head to his website, shedinspires.com. That's S-H-E-D inspires.com. And without further ado, let's welcome in Stephen Shedletsky. Shed, welcome back to the podcast. Good to have you again. I'm delighted to be back with you. This is installment two. Well, when you're on in March of 2022, you mentioned, you kind of teased that you were writing this book or finishing yeah. up the book and it was going to be out. Your goal was sometime end of 2023. And here we are. It'll probably, by the time this episode launches, it'll be out October 3rd is the official launch date, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. This, it's fun, fun, full circle. There, there have been a few shows that I've been on twice, sort of one where I was, you know, in ideation or in writing process. March, 2022, I would have been, we would have finished the book outline and just getting in to the nitty gritty of, of writing it out. So yeah, a year and a half later, uh, the book is coming out, which is fantastic. When did you officially put the stop on the editing process? Like when was the book actually what, what you would consider finished? That's a great question. Um, so, I mean, I, I joke with my wife that the number of times, you know, sitting on the couch after we put our kids to bed or I'm on the road in a hotel and, you know, I, I finish finish the book or at least another draft of the book, you know, I'd lean over to my wife and I would, you know, say to her or text to her or something. I finished writing the book again. <laughs> so, um, so we, I mean, we finished, we started working on it. Uh, we drafted it out two years ago. So we drafted it out in the fall to the beginning of winter, 2021, 22. We finished with the first draft of the book, uh, October 3rd, 2022. So a year to the day before release. And then, oh gosh, we then went through a number of edits. I, I don't specifically remember when I would say it's done but it gets to a point. So let me just, let me do some math backwards. We probably finished like June, July of this year, 2023. Um, but it's tricky because once they load in the book to the uh, interior design, you're a little limited on what and how much you can change because um, like it gets to a point where if you change it too late, then they have to change. Like it's one thing if you change a word or a paragraph and then it just messes with a few pages, but you, you can get into some dominoes where one change creates a ridiculous number of changes downstream. Um, so yeah, the, there was a point where we, you know, our, my publisher page two, who I've loved working with, you know, they're like, Hey, anything is possible, but there are ramifications to certain decisions but we were still making tweaks and things up until we sent in for printing, which I believe was in July. How important I get, cause, and I want to go through some of these dates cause that's very helpful. Like how important was it to have like page two almost keep you plotting down the path? Like, I, I guess oh, the, the, the question is if you did it yourself and you had no oversight, would we be talking about a published book right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, cause I know we all take longer than we want. So, well, the, so, so, <laughs> and yes, this also goes to our personal productivity style. So if you're familiar with Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies, which is a brilliant assessment. Um, I have it up here. There's um, obliger, 
uh, upholder, questioner, and rebel. Um, so this is a, it's it's a personality assessment. So um, obliger, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. So some folks are good with accountability because other people are relying upon them. Right. Um, that's not my primary. There's questioner. I'll comply if you convince me why. So there are some folks who like ask questions and you're just like, just do the thing. Right. And they're like, no, I need to know why it matters, right? Which is really healthy to have those folks on our teams as well. Upholder, discipline is my freedom. Uh, so highly structured folks, again, not me. I had people on the team who right. that's their strength. Project managers uh, is one role that it's good to be an upholder. And then there's rebel, which is me. You can't make me and neither can I. <laughs> so um, that is my, that's my primary tendency. So when I said to my wife, I was on, you know, back on said f familiar couch after we put our kids to bed, this would have been, I think, July 2021. Um, I was just about to exit my role on Simon Sinek's team. And I said to my wife, um, I think I'm going to write a book. Uh, I had said yes to a number of events uh, like of my own and with my own content or intellectual property, whatever that means. Um, but I said yes to those events, like not really knowing what my intellectual property was, but either relying that I would have some, or I'd give a call to a good friend who did have some intellectual property and we'd do it together, or I got their permission to do theirs or whatever it might be. Um, and there was one particular event, uh, a Society of Human Resources Management Conference um, in St. Louis that I said yes to doing the event. I said yes in the spring of 2021 and then in the fall or in the summer of 2021, around that time, July, I got the email from them being like, we're so excited that you're our keynote speaker. Please send in your talk title and description. And I went, oh. And it was that like pressure cooker of you got to come up with something. And I was already sort of ruminating at first, I started calling the the body of work "listen down," as in like great leaders listen down within their 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 organizations, which I do believe. But the ring of the term was a bit pedantic and authoritative and top down, which wasn't what I was trying to get across. I then later spoke with an individual named Sue Barlow, who helped Jim Collins with Good to Great, and she said, "Why don't you call it Speak Up Culture?" And I'm like, "Sounds great. That's way better. Thanks, Sue Barlow." Um, so it was a little, you know, microcosm of a speak up culture conversation that led to a way better title, in my humble opinion. Um, but yeah, so the this is a very long answer to your very short, good question, Brian. But the, the shortest answer is, I knew that if A, I either self-published or worked on this more on my own and without a team, it wouldn't happen. Um, a, a blank page intimidates me. B, I'm really good at procrastinating, and then I'll sort of have a beautiful mind moment where it all becomes clear really quickly, and then if I don't capture it, I can lose it. Uh, and so working with a team of folks, uh, both a developmental editor from page two, I worked with a great writing partner on the ArcBound team, Brian Wish's team named Ariel, um, who is fantastic, Ariel uh, Hubbard, and she was a great accountability thinking partner, writing partner. Um, and then, yeah, once we had the first draft, I really uh, immersed myself in it deeply. And uh, deadlines are, are a friend. <laughs> um, because with a, with a book, especially with a book like, I mean, you know this from writing the, the, the book that you have with, with, with the children's book, like there, there comes to a point where you're like, well, it's done, you know? And a book is is permanent, but it captures a moment in time, you know. And I'm glad that I I got help with the first draft because I could actually be more objective with like, let's cut this chapter. And I'm like, yeah, it's not doing anything. I've heard horror stories of authors being like, so precious, like, no, we can't cut that story. Right. But I'm like, well, does it serve the thesis? Like. And if we don't use it here, we use it for an article or a blog post or another book or on stage or never, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that whispered in my ear was Adam Grant's quote from his book, Think Again, which is, you don't have to agree with everything that I say. I don't even agree with everything that I say. Like, 
how many times do we look back on an article or a journal entry or something that we wrote a social media post from years ago and you're like what was i thinking right, right. you know um and that's normal so all of that helped me um move through if that mess makes sense. That makes it No, that's helpful. We'll dig into a few of those areas. Um, might get back to procrastinating because that might be something interesting um, on the writing yeah, process. Yeah, maybe. We'll think about it. We'll think about <laughs> we'll it. We'll think about it. Yeah. When you, when you put the outline together, and this is something because I've thought about this. I've had folks on that have, we've talked about this. Like, are you structuring? Like, when I think of outline, it's literally like, here's a whatever a topic and then there's some bullet points. Is that how you did your outline or was there anything unique or different of like how you structure yeah. it to make it easier to write? Yeah. So we, so we did a few things. One um, and, and, and I went through the process with my team at page two and they have like a 10 week developmental editing process to go from, I literally showed up to the party with 29 pages of somewhat coherent mildly organized pages of notes mm -hmm. and we then called that into uh, an outline at the time i think it was 13 chapters and it, it's gone down to a preface and 11 chapters we cut an entire chapter um, that just wasn't doing anything um and so what we did is we had like book description we had uh like thesis and objective and like why does this book exist we had who is this book for so we identified a specific um audience and my all of my work is psychographic rather than demographic so it's we wrote for leaders predominantly by behavior not by title um who are either senior leaders who want to put purpose in people first and are already on the journey to it middle managers who want to lead better or what I call cap, uh, lowercase L leaders, they don't yet have the title, but they have the behavior and they're already practicing the work of leadership. Um, so we had that. And then for each chapter, we also had essentially like, what's the job of this chapter as it relates to the job of the entire book? And so anytime we would get lost or ask a question, does this fit here or should this better fit somewhere else or does this not fit anywhere? Um, having, you know, who's it for, what's it for, which is Seth Godin language, um, as well as sort of sub, uh, sub theses or sub purposes for each of the chapters and sometimes sections that really helped us um, track. And I mean, the finished product in the book that I say we've written, it's my name on the cover, but it's, it was a team effort. Um, in the end, the feedback that I've been getting about the book is it's readable and there's an arc. And this book is meant to be read from beginning to to end. There are other books that are meant to, you know, choose your own adventure or pick it up wherever. But this one is, it, there's an arc. Um, and I think that early outline really, really helped us. And did, when you started writing with the outline um, or after you had the outline, did you write like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, or did you kind of skip around and kind of cobble? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like how, I guess yeah, the, yeah. what I'm trying to get into maybe more deeply is what was your writing process yes. throughout the getting the book completed? Yeah. <laughs> We're getting really nitty gritty, which is fun. So, so a few things, one is a learning that I would have changed. Um, and I'm already working on my next book, which I'm happy to talk about that process. And it's a very different book. So, and like some of the learnings and things I think I'm going to try out. So a couple things. One, because I was writing um, with a writing partner for the first draft, we the first draft was all in Google Sheets. And, um, and we went in order, which I'm, I'm pleased that we went. In, in order. And then we also, um, we went one chapter at a time, but then kept them separate, which I didn't like. I would have preferred a couple things. One, I do a lot of work on planes mm -hmm. and uh, Wi-Fi is not predictable on said planes. And so there were a few moments where I was really handcuffed um, and I didn't need to be, where I wish I was working offline but the thing that I was working in was tied to the web. So a lesson that the next time I, I do this, um, 
I want there to be an offline place where I can work and not have crazy anxiety that I'm going to lose my work because um, I did at moments. Uh, so that's one. I also, um, I probably would like to work just in one document because there were moments where I would say, where did we put that? And then I had to guess and then search multiple sheets and be reliant upon the internet as well. So I probably, I am a fan of separating some things. Like I think it's okay to have like a book outline document. Um, but then I also think there's a time and a place where it's good to have sections or have have one long document and then sub areas. The other thing, and this is my productivity style, because I think I have some functioning ADD, is I'll be writing or reviewing or reading. And the way I write is I typically come up with an entry point or an idea, and then I write, and then I read it over, and I read it over, and I read it over. And if I get distracted, I'll read it over like a ton. Mm -hmm. um, I'm doing so much editing as I'm writing. Um, but then I'll have a thought. I'm like, ooh, I should write that. And then I'll write something else. So sometimes it does serve to have just like a separate area of, I don't know where I'm going to use this, but I want to use this. I'll yeah. put it here. Um, but then there are moments of like, have I said that before? And then I want to command F, look for, you know, like one line I, I used a bunch in the first draft was, we get the culture we reward, we reward and we get the culture that we tolerate. And so I searched that and I think I wrote it like seven times in the first draft and the publisher's like, yeah, bring it down to two or three. Um, so yeah, those are a few thoughts. I'm not sure if I answered your original question, but a few things of my process. Well, so with that, uh, working in the Google Doc and, and obviously working through the chapters, did you set yourself a certain time per day that you were going to write? Was it a, how many Heck words no. a week? Like, well, obviously you had no. your deadline, I guess, when you had to submit, that was your, yeah. your finish yeah. line, right? Yeah. So, so we finished, so I, I signed with page two in September of 2021 by October of 2021, we started working very closely with my developmental editor, Kendra Ward, who was brilliant for, and, and we, we ended in January, early January with our book outline. Um, Ariel came back from attorney leave and we dove in and started working on the first draft in Jan, Feb. Um, and that was overall a brilliant process. Um, so yeah, then I did a, we finished, I, I worked really closely and tightly with her and how that process worked is we had book outline um, and then we would hop on and we would go one chapter at a time and in order. And Ariel would interview me for an hour, two hours. I would provide research that I knew that I really wanted us to dig into. Ariel would bring up her own ideas and research as well. Um, I would share social posts. Sometimes I would just record something and send it over. And Ariel would typically do a first draft. Um, and then I would re review that draft very carefully. The first chapter, which became the preface called What's at Stake, we had to change up some of what was included just for um, some legality reasons. We write about Boeing 737 MAX, so it's a delicate a delicate issue. Um, but Ariel's first crack at that chapter, I read it and I was like, oh, oh my God. Like I sent it to my wife and I said, is this too good? Um, you know, is this in my voice and is this too good? And then that was the first chapter. And then subsequent chapters, some chapters were 80% there. Some chapters felt really off, but the benefit is I had a sparring and a talking partner to edit and make it better and get it to a point where I'm like, okay, I can work with this. Um, Ariel sent, oh, so I worked really closely with Ariel on the first, I would say six chapters. And then the last seven I had less capacity to work as nitty gritty as I had done the first six, mm -hmm. just because I was traveling and busy again. Um, and we already had a good pace that I just like, all right, just like get it done and I'll read it when I need to, need to, need to read it. So the first draft of this book was predominantly written by a ghostwriter mm -hmm. in my voice, with my research, with my ideas. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I just knew that a blank page intimidated me and I'm better editing than I am writing fresh mm. uh, if I don't have that flash of inspiration. So then Ariel handed me the finished first draft, which was 33,000 words, and the target for the book was forty five to 50,000. So she would have handed it to me, I want to say like June of 2022, and then I spent the next... Uh, it could have been a bit later than that, but I spent a good two, three months um, working it. And I submitted the first draft back to the publisher and it was 46,000 words. So I added 13,000 words in my first edit. And then it made it all the way up to 54,000 words, I think. And then in the end, it's around 50 or 52. Um, but yeah, that was the way that I did it. Um, and I did it that way because... I wanted to get it done and I wanted it to be quality. Yeah. And that was the best way I knew how to do both of those things with this first book. Uh, but in the end, I'm proud. I feel it represents me, my ideas. It's backed by research. So yeah, that's awesome. What, uh, when you were talking about that midsummer 2022 and kind of traveling a lot and then also having to add the words, was there anything specific that you did to actually carve out the time? I, I think it's, it's Stephen Pressfield who always says like writing's not the hardest part. It's sitting down to write. Yeah. And this goes back to the procrastination. Did you find that creeping up a lot where you were hesitant or did you really have a focused discipline to, to get it done? No, I'm not the most focused or disciplined. I, I mean, I can be focused, but I mean, time pressure is a thing for me. Um, it was really helpful um, I brought on a team member. He's been with me for 18 months. He actually just joined right after you and I had our first podcast. His name is Alejandro. So Ale would be very helpful for me to protect the time that I need. Um, so I found, I mean, there were a couple busy times. One busy time was right before Christmas in 2022. And due to a visa issue and just being traveling way too much, I did. I had no traveling gigs in November or December of 2022, which was a blessing because mm -hmm. I needed to get, like, uh, I think our first or second substantial edit done, you know, um, and that was a blessing because I really dug in. But I found that um, uh, I would, if the can, I mean, <laughs> for me, it's so conditional. Like, a, I barely, if ever, wrote here in my office. Because the context here is I'm on calls or I'm checking, e like it just, it, I need to switch up environment. So oftentimes I would go to my wife's office. Um, uh, it was a really great place where I would write a lot or I'd go upstairs. I would often write at night um, after we put our kids to bed, just because I was getting pinged less. Um, yeah, so for me, it was more time, pressure, and urgency, and you got to get it done. But I was pretty good. Like I, There was never a moment where I felt that the quality of our work was diminished because of time. There were a couple submissions where I made a submission, and I'm like, I know I'm going to want to change this, but I don't know to what to yet, but we have time. Um, but in the end, it actually felt spacious um, because I – made it a priority and carved a bunch of time, but I'm not a wake up at six and write for 90 minutes right. and you will write 2,500 words every day because that's what you do when you're a writer. And I'm like, Nope, like that's not my jam. Well, are you, cause you now <clears throat> you tease that you're writing your new, a new book as we, yes. as we're doing this. So you mentioned obviously like working offline, working in one document. Are there other things that you're trying to do differently with this one that you've learned? Maybe that you would share, I guess, the best way to ask is if there's a first-time author out there, what are some things mm. they should consider writing their, their first book? I mean, find what works for you because what works for others certainly doesn't work for me and what works for others certainly does work for me. So, you know, take slivers of pies from all your all the inspiration and insight you can get. Um, and sure, do an author boot camp if you want and can and have the time and can't afford it. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I can like, I, I think the biggest thing is you just, you got to find your way. Um, 
And I also know that the way I wrote this book uh, is not the same way that everyone can write this book because I spent money with the right team to make it happen and do it. And that's not an option for everyone. And I totally appreciate that. Um, so do what's going to work for you also given your circumstances. Um, but there's brilliant software and things that you can use and, and do, but I think it's figure out what are your strengths and how you work best and then design it that way. Um, yeah. If you want, I can share more about this next book I'm writing and how I think I'm going to approach it and some questions I have as well, because there's some stuff I don't know how to answer yet. I would, I would love to hear that. All right. So the next book is the working title is the book of Ben. Um, and it is not a business book, but it is absolutely a book about humanity. And it is about my grandfather. My grandfather is a Holocaust survivor. He grew up in a rural Polish town. Um, his last day, this is the first scene. I'm I'm writing the book as if it's a movie because I want it to become a movie. The first scene of the book is in grade five, my grandfather fought back to an anti-Semitic teacher. Um, and he finally hit them back. And that was his last day of formal education. Uh, and he joined the family business, which was which was a butcher. His father and his father and his father were all butchers. And so uh, when he got kicked out of school that day or ran away and knew that he wasn't welcome back, um, instead of going home, because, you know, if he went home, he'd get chewed out by his parents. He uh, went to a farmer he knew, uh, bought some chickens, went to the market and sold them for a profit, and then came home that, that day at his normal time and said, Mom, Dad, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is here's some money. The bad news is I got kicked out of school. Um, and so that's like the the opening um, and then I'm writing this book. He he ended up having just – so he's a Holocaust survivor and just a survivor through and through, like a fighter, um, uh, which I'll explain why in, in that context. Um, but his story of survival is very different than many others. You know, there's unfortunately the traditional – sort of um, ghettos and concentration camps and, and, and working camps. There's well-known stories of folks like Oscar Schindler and others who hid and ushered many Jews in, in hiding. There are stories of, of Jews and refugees hiding in the woods and forests and, and even fighting. Like there are all these amazing well-known stories. And then there are a few stories and then there are so many of them of off the beaten path stories you'd never hear, which is that of my grandfather's. So he was drafted to the Polish army in 1937. His parents' main concern at the time was that he wasn't going to eat kosher. Uh, they had no idea what was coming. In 39, Germany invades. It was like six days that they took over an entire country. He was in a prisoner of war camp outside of Berlin for two years, hiding his Jewish identity. He was well-liked and gregarious and some amazing stories of how he made it through two years surviving in a prisoner of war camp. One funny story is in the middle of the night, he would often complain of tooth pain. Um, and every once in a while, a friendly guard would throw down a, a cigarette to help him soothe the pain in his in his tooth. I don't think that's a good remedy, but whatever, it worked. And he wouldn't smoke the cigarette. He would keep it and trade it for extra rations the next day. Like that's the type of street smart guy this guy was. He was approached by a more senior ranking officer to escape that prison. They did. He walked home at night for eight weeks straight, went back to his hometown, uh, married his his childhood sweetheart, my grandmother, Eva. Um, and then that was 1941. Um, his town was then being sent to um, a ghetto uh, and he went, nah, and him and seven others, which became five by the end of the war, went into hiding. He had to give away his firstborn because he can't hide in barns and cornfields with a, a newborn child. Um, he ends up being on a ship called the Exodus 1947, which is the ship that happened to be the one that pushed public opinion for there to be a Jewish state of Israel voted in. He fought in the War of Independence um, in, in Israel, moves to Toronto with my dad at the time was three years old and my uncle in 1953. Uh, his sister gets run over by a streetcar in Toronto downtown as she's pushing her two young daughters, pushes the daughters out of the way and dies his his sister Malka, and he essentially takes on two more children 
and he and others adopt and raise these these two kids as well. Um, in the 1970s, he beats pancreatic cancer by just this much, um, uh, which is when he told my mother and aunt that he had to give away his firstborn. Um, and then my grandmother gets Alzheimer's as soon as he retires and he fights for her life for, for 10 years. Um, and then the end of the story is his last 10 years of life. He fell in love again, like a, like a high school sweetheart. Um, he found, he, he was connected with a woman who had a very similar background as he, she was a Warsaw ghetto and Auschwitz survivor. Um, and she elongated his life and quality of life for at least an additional seven to eight years. Um, a remarkable woman. And he made it to 98 and 11 months to the day. Wow. Uh, his birthday is in two days. Um, and the last scene of the movie, <laughs> of the book, is when my wife and I, Julie, went to his deathbed. And he hadn't spoken to anyone in two days. Um, he was literally days away from passing. And we had just found out that we were pregnant with our firstborn. And in, 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 in my tradition, in my family tradition, you typically don't announce that you're pregnant until you hit second trimester. Um, but we told him and told him early, and he insisted to be sat up in bed, tears in his face, saying, I'm sorry, I won't be there. Um, to which he's here. I mean, I live... I have his initial ring, which he gave to me when he passed away. Wow. I keep it here. Um, and so this book is a, it's like Steven Spielberg to, to, to Fableman's like, this is, this is the art. This is the thing I must give uh, as a legacy to, to him. I want to do it as my father is alive and well, cause he will be a great uh, research writing partner on this. And I want him to see the fruits of this. Uh, this labor of love as well. Uh, but yeah, the the book of Ben, um, and I'm going to write it as his story through my lens. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. That's, uh, my gosh. Um, did you get a <laughs> chance? I didn't, you mentioned, and, and when, when did he pass away? He passed away. It would have been August, I think, 20th, I think. I have to check on that but it would have been 2015. Okay. Yeah. Did you get the opportunity? <clears throat> I think about this with my grandparents, um, but like, did you get an opportunity to spend a lot of time with him in terms of asking him questions about the yeah. past? Like, was he willingly sharing those stories a lot? Like, is that what inspired this or is it was something else kind of inspired this? He was, he was very open and gregarious. He was, he loved sharing stories and his story. Um, and I think the reason was, I think, is because he was, <laughs> for better or for worse, the protagonist of, of the story. I think there are so many Holocaust survivor stories where they where understandably folks don't wish to talk about it because of the trauma, because of what was done unto them. But because in so many respects, he was the author of his own story. You know, um, they said, hop on this train. And he said, nah. You know, he, he escaped, like, you know, I think he, it was a source of identity and a source of pride for him that he was very open sharing his story to anyone who would listen. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, nearly three hours of footage that all the proceeds that Spielberg uh, made from Schindler's List, he used to capture testimony from Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's called the Shoah Project, but I could be wrong about that. Um, and uh, so we have interview footage from him in the early to mid-1990s. And then the first thing I did when I graduated from university uh, is I went over to his house and spent two full days with my, like I turned on a microphone and I just said like, all right, tell me your life story um, and listen for, for two straight days. So I, I have those documents that I'll, definitely be listening i i haven't listened to it straight through since so i will oh wow yeah i love that yeah. I, I encourage everyone to like do that with especially uh, their elders uh, to go and interview and have that because because it's something i i kind of regret not doing with my grandparents i didn't know anything but my grandmother had passed away in 2019 i remember the year prior talking to her for a couple hours straight just again asking questions like what was her biggest regret what were 
trauma stuff I never even realized. Um, so yeah. it is something that's so important. And like my my, I was actually it's funny we're talking. I was just up at my great uncle just turned a hundred. Um, wow, a couple of days ago, and I interviewed him for the podcast back in the spring because like, nice. I, I never so got cool. a chance to talk with him. But like just having that, I'm 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 excited. I'm excited to hear next time we talk maybe how like listening back to those like what additional things you uncovered and stuff like that's pretty cool stuff you know um you get that that's rare that a lot of people don't have those recordings of, of their grandparents of those stories they're they're maybe handwritten they're totally. maybe jotted down but their perspective you know yeah um which may I, you just had me think of something that i'm gonna put in the document that i have here um uh but yeah and not everyone is willing to talk about it i mean my wife's my wife's maternal grandmother had a remarkable life story, a lot of loss, a lot of pain. She's probably the strongest, one of the strongest human beings I know um, based on just what she's overcome, you know, separated from her parents at the age of 14, moved from Germany to, to, to the UK, um, lost her husband unexpectedly at an early age, had to learn how to become financially literate. Like, independent strong amazing and it's just not her personality to to gloat or to talk about it or to have attention on her and so with her it was just these moments of of when she was willing because she would often shoo it off or it'd be too painful or um so yeah so i think it's it's a when you do have those moments and there's just a willingness and an openness just soak it in um and yeah ask some questions and see what they're willing to share but i mean a it's there's so much to learn from an older generation. Mm -hmm. And I think it can also just be just such a great way to honor their legacy and the impact that they've had on us to give them the, you know, as we age, I think we can lose some of our dignity physically and mentally. And so to provide and to show the value and worth that they've had in our lives, I think is a great gift. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. a great honor when, when you say that, like my, I remember my uh, great uncle Joe was saying when we were up there and, and he, I think he's been in a tough spot because his wife passed away a couple of years ago. But like he mentioned, he was like, yeah, I'm not, you know, I kept saying like, ah, I'm not even supposed to be here or, you know, whatever. And, and we're like, Uncle Joe, like you brought 70 people together that we haven't had a family reunion in gosh, 20 plus years. Like, you know, you're kind of to honor him to your point, you know, so. Yeah, it's, that's that's an awesome thing you're doing. H have you had this idea for a long time to write this or did this just pop up recently? Um Yeah, I've had it. I've had the idea um uh so I really began to cherish the relationship and this like his story um when I graduated university, so that would have been 2009. I, you know, I only sort of recently had the idea. So a couple things. So being on the speaking tour and speaking circuit for so many years and speaking and sharing Simon Sinek's work, I would often be asked, when are you going to write a book of your own? And my response was always, if and when I ever come across something worth writing about. And so I, I hadn't thought or maybe believed I could. But then when this idea for Speak Up Culture came... Um, and I still don't identify myself as an author or a writer. There's a book with my name on it that begs to differ, but like, I don't identify that way. I identify more as a human and a speaker and a connector and a coach, you know? Um, but once I, once I got a book in me and I'm like, okay, like I, not that I know how to do this, but I did it once. Um, it became very clear to me fairly early on in the process of writing speak up culture of like, I know, I know what my next one is. Um, or I know what one I have to do is, and I really want to do it soon just cause I want, you know, my, my dad knock on wood and, and God forbid is in good health. He's 73, um, and with it. And I want to, I want to work on it with him. Um, you know, my brother is an amazing writer and creative, I want to involve him, you know, so I want to make it a, a a family project as well to whatever degree that that we're able to. And I want my dad to be involved and uh, see its impact, uh, which, you know, 
we might get it into 200 people's hands or it might reach millions of people, which I hope it's the latter just because I think it's an amazing story. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, it seemed, I mean, just hearing the way you're talking about it, how excited you are about it, you know, uh, the lot of emotion you. there. So yeah, I'm excited for, uh, for you to write it and you, you already have the invitation to come back on and let's talk about it when it comes out. Uh, cool. hopefully soon, you know, I'm, soon, st- right? I'm still working in a, in a Google sheet, so I, I got to migrate that pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just one or two more questions. If I, if I, if I, I intend to work on it on a, on a plane, I should migrate it. Yeah, yeah sorry, there you go. go for it. Um, well, I wanted to ask, and this kind of goes back to speak of culture, and, and maybe, I mean, you could talk about the book of Ben. I, I like that name. You mentioned that, was it Sue that kind of gave you the idea of speak of Sue culture? Sue Barlow. Yeah, but yeah. So, and sometimes, as you know, right, the names change a ton as you're going through the process. So I'm curious, two things. One is why you decide to keep the name. But secondly, I really want to talk about the subtitle because mm. th- th- and this word truly, because you yeah. could have said when leaders listen, people step up, but it's when leaders truly listen, people step up. I'm assuming that's intentional of why that was. It is. Up. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, Sue, Sue Barlow gave me the feedback. I, I think I had speak up culture or speak up in the subtitle. And Sue said a couple things. I mean, one, she gave the feedback that, listen down or leaders listen down or whatever I was going to call it felt a bit top down and authoritative and pedantic and talking down to, which is not the intention. I, I did it from this notion of like, we all say, listen up, but I'm like, no, listen down. Mm-hmm. Um, also down is a negative term uh, passively. And so she said, speak up. Like it's better to have uplifting words in a, in a title, which I liked. Um, you are very right that I intentionally use the word truly my developmental editor, Kendra, was like, that's a superfluous word, like take it out. And I'm like, no, it has to be in there. And the reason it has to be in there is because I highlight really prominently in my book, the work of my friend, Rich Devinney, who's a retired U.S. Navy SEAL, wrote the book, The Attributes. And his thesis is he differentiates between a skill and an attribute. So often we only look at skills because they're easy to, to test, measure, and assess. Um, skills are things that we learn, writing, talking, typing, riding a bike right? But when you learn how to ride a bike, when you learn a skill and it doesn't go well, you fall off and you scrape your knee, all of a sudden your your attributes are showing, which is perseverance, adaptability, re- resilience, empathy, right? And these are things that we can develop, but I can't send you, Brian, to a two-hour class on resiliency and poof, you're more resilient. No, you have to put be self-aware, be motivated, and then deliberately put yourself in some stressful um, and uncertain uh, scenarios where your resiliency muscle is tested and can grow. And so I felt so passionate about including the word truly because listening is actually a skill. You can learn to become a better listener, but listening without compassion or empathy can quickly turn into manipulation. And so I, I emphatically argued for, and with very little pushback, once I explained it, they went, yep, sounds good. Um, I put the word truly in front of listen, because to me, it denotes a mix of listening plus empathy and compassion, th- those attributes of empathy and compassion. Yeah, I like that. And and again, the other day, like you, I guess you have the control at the end to say, this is what I want in, but you've made a very valid point of why it should be. in. it wasn't just kind of a wasted word, you know, which by the way, I had the luxury of doing that because of the publishing path that I picked. Yes. And I get this question a lot. So for all of you who have written to me and said, who should I publish with? And should I go traditional or self or hybrid? Here's my answer. So my view of traditional publishing, big publishing houses, we all know the names of them. It's a bit of a broken model um, in my humble humble view. You are, you are the product. They buy something from you, but they buy it for their catalog and they have ultimate creative discretion and control, not you. Um, Now, if you're me, I'm not yet, maybe one day, an A-list author, like uh, pick an author of your choice, J.K. Rowling, Brene Brown, Adam Grant, whatever. Those are folks that get the A-team and get a bit more creative license and control because of who who, who they are. But I've heard nightmare stories of first-time authors not writing the book that they want, writing a book that their publisher bought. Um, I've heard nightmare stories of articles with traditional publishers having very little or no say over cover design, right? So that's one extreme. Um, And my sort of rule of thumb with traditional publishing is only go with it if you get an offer that you can't refuse. 
Like if you get an offer that's like, I can't say no to this and the team feels right and this, that, and the other, go for it. But there are other options. One option is to completely self-publish. I didn't choose that that option. It felt too daunting to me. When you self-publish, you essentially set up your own publishing company. You have to pick everything from interior and exterior design to printing, to paper thickness, to paper size, to font, uh, to distribution. Like it is a lot. You're nodding because maybe that's the path that, 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 exactly that you took. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot. And, you know, like Seth Godin self-published a book. But like Seth Godin knows enough to set up his own publishing house. Like, let's be real. And he did not do that on his own. He hired a team. And so there's this there's this newer uh, part of the industry called hybrid publishing. It's been around for at least uh, a, a decade. The publisher that I worked with, Page Two out of Vancouver, has their 10-year anniversary on October 3rd, same day my book comes out. Um, and they're fantastic. What I love about the model is it's a service orientation model. I'm not the client, I'm the product. Part of, part of me, I'm not the product, I'm the client. Other way around, I'm not the product, I'm the client, which means it's a partnership. But it also means that they'll challenge me and tell them their, they'll tell me their opinion. I'll ask for their opinion. Um, it's not cheap. I, I had to pay. You, you need to have money in order to do this and pull it off. And fortunately, I had some money in the bank from the business that I was doing, speaking and facilitating for the years previous. So I, I could do it and I chose to do it. Um, but yeah, hybrid publishing, I'm a big fan of. Not every publishing house is created equal or not every hybrid publishing house is created equal. So there are a few that are really strong out there and there's a bunch that aren't um, and have even gone, gone under recently. So yeah, I, I chose hybrid publishing and I'm very pleased with the choice that I made uh, from a model perspective as well, particularly the partner that I picked in, in page two. Well, we were talking just prior to recording, we talked about kind of the ordering more books and, and there's been kind of a, a good demand early. What's, if I ask you like what success is for this book, what, oh, what, how, what is that for you? Uh, success for this book is um, uh, two, two, uh, three, three goals. The third goal is sales. Um, uh, you know, if it becomes a bestseller, beautiful. Uh, it, if it became a bestseller, it should have become a bestseller for the right reasons, not because I paid for it. And there are plenty of authors who pay mm -hmm. to get bestseller status. Good for you, whatever. I'm not going to play that game. Um, I don't have that much money and I, and, and, you know, I, I want the book to be received well for the right reasons, not because I ensured that it got on lists, you know? Um, but that's a number three list. Uh, number three goal is is sales. And if it becomes a bestseller, that's gravy. It's not a a, a hope or a goal. Um, the second goal is a long tail business. Is I I've written something that I think can change organizational culture and human society for the better. And so I've written something that I hope will be in the zeitgeist and will be around for years. I I hope even to the point that maybe we'll do a, a second or other editions with updated stories or whatever it might be, cases. Um, and the number one goal is just brand, is to uh, to um, establish my own sort of personal brand. Again, working with Simon Sinek and being so close with him and, and on his team for many years um, and stepping away from that role, it was important for me to you know set up my own brand with the, my work and the work that I that I do. Um, and it's been fun doing that, doing that work and seeing some of the momentum with it already. Yeah. No, I like the, those goals. And by the way, did I see, which I love, if I saw this right, you actually are doing the audiobook. It's your voice. Is that right? Yeah. Will Arnett and Morgan Freeman were banging down my door, but I ah, said, guys, okay. I think I have to do this one on my own. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did the audiobook. It's already done. Um, we recorded that a few months ago. So it's, uh, it'll be available on release date as well. And in some countries, like in some markets, like in the United Kingdom, the ebook and the audiobook are actually available on October 3rd. Um, the physical copy of the book won't be available until November 13th, I think, in, in the UK okay. in UAE and UAE and a bunch of other non-North American markets. Did you get any pushback on recording the audio yourself? Or is that just part of the process? Like because because of again, page two and the and the relationship you have there? Because I know some folks don't, and I'm like, God, I would love to hear the author's true voice in this. 
Yeah. So I already had experience doing one audiobook previously. I did the audiobook for Simon Sinek, Peter Docker, and David Mead's Find Your Why. Oh. Um, yeah. So I had already done one audiobook. And when you have a face for like this for, for radio, you just got to embrace it. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I think I have a decent sounding voice. So I, I wanted to do that book. It went well. Um, and for me, there was, I just knew that I wanted to do it. There are some folks who don't do it because it's a big time investment. Like it's, it's a lot. Um, but for me, I, I felt passionate about it and, uh, yeah, I mean, it took, uh, it took a good, uh, 15, 20 hours, um, to, to do it when we did it in like two hour chunks. Um, but you know, plus redos and the amount of time it took to set up my, my home recording studio with all the blankets and the things like it was, it was a whole to do, but I felt passionate for me. There was no option. It was going to be me. Um, and there was no, no pushback on that. That's good. Uh, but yeah, but not, but not everyone, you know, sometimes there's multiple authors. So it's like, who should read what, or is it one person? Sometimes folks don't want to do it. Um, uh, or like for some, it's really hard work. Uh, for me, it was hard work. It is not easy, but uh, I wanted to do it. And I think it came out pretty well. Yeah. Well, Shad, I'm, I'm excited for you to get this book launched. I appreciate you coming back on. Any final words, thoughts, insights, asks of the audience, anything you'd share? I mean, one, I hope this conversation was helpful. I, I, You and I nerded out and went down a few rabbit holes. So I hope this was a helpful conversation for you. And I mean, for me, it's just around no judgment. Like if you want to go down this journey of creating art, creating any form of art of which writing a book is one form, uh, do it, do it your way, figure out what your way is. Um, and uh, yeah, um, you know, I think there's, yeah, there's finding your way and and doing it is what I would, what I would say. Awesome. Well, Shed, until you're on next time when you publish the book of Ben, well, uh, I look forward to that, and I appreciate you coming on today. Nice. There's some accountability. Three years. We'll, we'll do this in three years, okay. <laughs> if, if not before. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.